The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by Manscaped. You know that feeling when you drive down a nice neighborhood and you see that one beautiful lawn perfectly trimmed? What must it feel like to come home to that lawn, knowing the work you've put into it and the pride that comes with that? Well, the same can apply to your body. Keeping yourself properly trimmed and smelling great not only gives you the confidence to step up when you need to, it might surprise and delight your partner. So use Manscaped. Manscaped is the official sponsor of our podcast, and it's number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. The Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology so you won't nick or snag your nuts. That's fun to say. And don't use the same trimmer on your nuts that you use on your face because... Let's be honest, that's kind of gross. So right now, you get 20% off with free shipping by using the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's armchair. Always use the right tools for your family jewels. Your balls will thank you. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to another episode of the Bird Calls Podcast. I'm your host, contributor to thebirdrights.com, Preston Ellis. And the Pelicans are 6-16, six and 16. <laughs> not what any of us were envisioning, as we saw Zion put up an insane, uh, I think it was 71% field goal rate with like a 34 PER. John Hollinger wrote about it on The Athletic this morning. That's where I'm drawing those numbers for. But anyway, this is where we're at now. So to help make sense of it all, we have our editor-in-chief to thebirdrights.com, everyone's favorite radio interview, Mr. Ali Cosell going on man hey Preston just living the dream Pelicans losing defending Alvin Gentry you know just doing the world's dirty work (laughs) somebody's got to do it I'm glad it's you man uh we also have 1280 AM's own and host to hard in the paint proud father and pup dad Mr. David Grubb what's going on man I'm doing well uh Ollie's on the radio though almost as much as me and so I you know he he's putting up some serious work. I thought I was doing enough every day for two hours. No, every time I turn on the radio, he's there too. Well, the good news is you have to plan and format and invite people to your podcast. Ollie can just kind of show up with like his shirt tucked <laughs> into his jeans, wearing loafers. He doesn't have to do anything. You're doing the hard work, Rob. That's true. That's yeah. true. <laughs> and we got to take a shot at Ollie in the process. So Holly, thank uh, before, you. Yes. <laughs> before we get into anything, I'm sure all of our listeners are dying to know how is the house refurbishment going? We are almost getting there. Just this past week, got the uh, floor stained and sanded. So give it a couple more days to dry because we don't want to kill ourselves off with those fumes. Uh, we'll be able to move in that part of the house and, you know, celebrate. Well, that's pretty awesome. I'll say that we've also had carpenters in our house for about two weeks now. My wife uh, just had the kitchen cabinets repainted. She painted. She's six months pregnant. She painted the entire garage and the garage floor. Uh, that's just the start. There's there's a laundry list of items. We're having a fence installed next week, so very exciting times. But that's probably not why many of you tuned into this show. You want to talk about your favorite six and sixteen squad, right? Let's go ahead and start with David Griffin, Ali, because last night he made some comments on Fox Sports Nola with Antonio. 
Daniels and with Joel Myers. He said, we're just past the six week part. I'm, I'm doing this from memory. I don't I don't have time to put these uh, exact quotes in front of me anymore. But he basically just said that Zion's still within his timetable. There's still optimism that he could be ready within the eight week uh, parameters. But he also left it a bit ambiguous. He said, you know, we've never dealt with anyone who is 285 pounds. He's a population of one. So we don't really know when he's going to be ready, but we're not going to put him out there until he is. What did you make of these comments, Ollie? I didn't find anything too surprising. Uh, and excuse the background noise. My dog loves to shake with his <laughs> collar on as I do a podcast seemingly every week. So, yeah, Preston, I, I didn't find it surprising because I always thought that with the way they've always talked about him of uh, being such an unusual specimen, uh, athletic specimen at his weight, that he was always going to be treated differently. And I had heard early on that this was not any kind of major meniscus surgery. Right. So I, I, I was always a little bit surprised by the eight week timetable, that far, far end of the timetable. So the fact that it's it's even even that was kind of ambiguous, that it wasn't really set in stone. Like I said, isn't a surprise because there's no reason to rush him back. I think maybe if the Pelicans were more of an, in, in contention, they might, you know, just simply I don't want to say they, they would adjust benchmarks or anything like that. But there would just be a, a bigger, you know, let's just say. <laughs> I don't want to say this without making it sound like the Pelicans would make an actual mistake, right, and rushing somebody back. But long story short, there's no reason to rush him back because they don't know exactly how his knee's going to react, what kind of, you know, stress may induce another injury. So it's better to err on the long-term side, right? It's better just to basically not bring him back until he literally makes everybody in that building happy and, and you're going to restrict him, as Griffin said. So. I like what they've done. I, I, I actually, you know, I, I don't find any fault with either what Griffin said. The only thing I did not like was the fact that he said, hey, we've been transparent throughout. Hey, we did, you know, I was on an ESPN um, New Orleans radio show like about three weeks ago. I'm sorry, Griff, but most of us don't listen to that. I, don't, I have no idea what he was talking about. So I, I don't think a lot of people, a lot of listeners knew. But that being said, for the most part, they've done a reasonable job, I think, with in terms of expectations on Zion. And the only other big thing you got to mention is the fact that seemingly TNT, right, they broke something that the day before we were there at the uh, practice facility, we asked Alvin Gentry about Zion Williamson's return because he was knocking on the door. To, the next day was supposed to be his six-week uh, from surgery date, and Alvin said, no, he hasn't started to do anything. And then the next day we're watching TV, Kristen's talking about how he's already begun doing some work. So that was a little bit of a slap in the face, too. So those, those are just my minor quabbles or squibbles with all of this. But I'm sure David's probably got a lot more to say on this topic. So I'll, I'll hand this over to him. Well, I do think that uh, Griffin could have. Yeah, I, I didn't like the defensive tone a little bit about trying to, to make sure. Well, and saying, well, you know, some people say I share too much information. And no, I don't think that's what people have said. I think people have said when you share the information, when you choose to come out, and when you provide information has been inconsistent. And that's what, what bothers fans. I think they've, they're, they're used to seeing Griffin now when things have gone well and then him not being around or as visible when things are going poorly. And I think that yesterday's interview was really a response and was only set up because the, uh, the uproar was starting to get louder. Um, I do think that we have not been told exactly what's been wrong. Uh, you know, from the beginning, the surgery ha happened so quickly. Uh, and, and, and what's happened since we have not really gotten any updates 
other than them saying, well, it could be anywhere. And if he meets the metrics and again, those, those are goalposts that can be easily moved. Um, I think you should err on the side of caution. And we, we kind of discussed this in the last podcast about, you know, whether or not Zion should sit out the entire year. Um, if they are going to manage him and not playing him back to backs early, I'm sure his minutes will be restricted to around 20 or so. Um, then get him some time and that's fine. But I think ultimately, yes, the, the, the final goal is to make sure that when he returns, he's healthy. So even if it has been handled poorly or not in the best way in communicating that, if ultimately the, the result is that I, Zion is healthy when he returns, then I think we'll be okay. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of consistencies with what's coming out of the Pelicans front office. In addition to what we're seeing on the floor right now, I think it starts at the top. Uh, Like the guys just mentioned, you've got Kristen Ludlow uh, reporting from TNT that he's definitely going to fall outside of the eight week time frame. And then you've got David Griffin. not not being a contrarian to that, but saying there's still a lot of time. We could still see. That's not what Kristen reported. And then you've got a friend to our program, Angie Thomas. Now, she didn't directly say this, but she basically she went to a Pelicans practice, and she basically inferred that she saw something special at the practice. She said something along the lines of, uh, the league better watch out. And I, I think basically what she's saying is that she's seeing Zion participating participating in these limited on-court activities. She's seeing just how explosive he probably still is. So there's just a lot of gray area right now. And like Ali said, we just want transparency. And while David Griffin said that that's what he's being, based on the information we're getting from these three different sources, which is all we, and four, if you uh, include Alvin Gentry, it doesn't seem as if we're getting transparency. And I think that's what we're all just addressing is our confusion throughout this entire process. But let's go ahead and move on to Alvin Gentry. And I'll go ahead and start with Ali. Uh, I, I know that I personally, um, we, we all like Alvin Gentry. Uh, he handles the press very well. He handles the players very well. I think we're just tired. Partially, it could be his fault. Partially, it could be his staff's fault. Partially, it could just be the organization and injury luck. But we're getting a lot of the same excuses. I think we're just tired of the same old rhetoric. It's not necessarily a knock on him, although we can go into reasons why it could be. But at this point in time, it's it's we're just tired of hearing the same thing. Talk about Alvin Gentry impact this year uh, and and how you viewed his work on the floor with the squad, Ali Cosell, and and whether it's appropriate that he's getting some of the blame that he, that is being placed on him by the fan base at this point. Yeah, let me start there because Preston, obviously that's what everybody's been talking about for weeks now. And that, is, of course, is fire Alvin. And they always point to the overall win-loss record, but especially, of course, this year's, you know, regrettable 6-16 six and 16 start in a seven-game losing streak. I think that... There's a certain amount of criteria that always needs to go into evaluating a coach properly. And it doesn't really begin with the win-loss record. You know, you can't always just start at the results. You have to look at every each step from start to finish. And um, I, I could spend half an hour talking about it, but I'm just going to basically say that Alvin is probably like maybe 8, 9, 10, somewhere in that range in my list of concerns regarding the Pelicans. And I listed five right off the top of my head responding to somebody on Twitter where I pointed out these things actually have worried me more about, you know, and, and are more responsible for where the Pelicans find themselves. Got to start with injuries, right? No Zion, no Derek Favors has absolutely crushed any chance of the Pelicans having, I feel like, a decent defense oh, there you are. for 48 <laughs> minutes a game. Um, and the rebounding on the glass. We see how, you know, even last night, Phoenix Suns don't have any real great size, but you know what? They grabbed what was it, like 19 or 20 offensive rebounds and really – they gave them, what, 22 more shots in the game, and that's why they really won the game. 
I mean, you can't give an opponent. And we saw that the Pelicans shot lights out over 50% from the field, over 40 from three, even got to the free throw line for a record amount of times for the season. They still lost. And why was it? Because, like I said, they kept on giving those second, third, fourth chances to the Suns. Those injuries. Number one, Hayes being pressed into action, playing the biggest, most key position in that Pelicans defense at center when he's as raw as really any rookie that came in the league this season. That's killed them. You know, just go back to the last game. I rewatched the first few minutes of last night's Phoenix Suns game. Again, it was Hayes not uh, rotating properly or guarding the pick and rolls right. Led to two easy quick buckets for Phoenix right away. Right when the Pelicans, you know, nailed those two back-to-back threes. Ingram and Holiday. So it kind of negated that really good start by the Pelicans because of error. So Hayes being pressed into action, number two. Number three, clutch time underperformance. I don't have to explain that to you guys. We saw it again last night. Number four, Lonzo. Before last night's game, really we've only seen glimpses of what he can do, but he's largely disappointed with his minutes and not provided and played the role that he needs to on the scene. Last night, wow. It's like he flipped a switch, and that's why you shouldn't have never given up hope in him. He's always possessed these skills and traits, but for him to make that jump from just the previous game where he had a really bad game, everybody was lamenting that two for 12 start, why did he shoot 10 threes? It's always been about confidence. It's never been about his skill set. Well, last night, he found some confidence, and boy, did his skill set shine. So Lonzo struggles, number four. Roster construction, number five, and I know David agrees with me here. The Pelicans really did enter this season uh, undermanned in a few positions, both at backup point guard and, of course, having another physical big being at the top of the list. And I can go into reasons why, but again, those five reasons right there easily supersede anything Alvin has done or not done correctly in my book. I will say this. I'm going to turn it over to Grubb, and you can tackle whatever topic first you want to in regards to this uh, with Alvin Gentry. But I've cautioned the Pelicans uh, numerous times about these three-guard lineups because they inevitably include Brandon Ingram playing at the four. And I've got cleaning the glass up in front of me. And not only have the Pelicans struggled with him at the four, uh, just uh, – I, I don't know what my word is. I'm searching for. I'm out of practice. But they, they've struggled throughout with him at the four position. But in terms of rebounding, he's a 20 percentile uh, rebounder at the power forward position. So they really need somebody like a Kenrich Williams or a Josh Hart playing the three if you do go to those three guard lineups. So inevitably, when you've got Lonzo, Drew, and J.J. Redick, it's good offensively to have Brandon Ingram at the four. But you are going to get destroyed on the boards. And they still resort to this time and time again. That's just one thing I wanted to bring up since Ali touched on it. But go ahead. Head grub talk about um about that with jackson hayes their their inability to rebound and just talk about some of alvin gentry's decisions this season yeah to start on the rebounding it, it comes down to they just don't have the bodies you know and alvin talked about it last night you know jackson hayes he weighs 210 pounds <laughs> and it, it's just it's you're putting him against even check diallo i mean check outweighs him and is stronger than him you can see it in their bodies and check is not the, the biggest guy you've ever seen but you can see just that that one or two years of extra development, how much of a difference it makes. And so you can't have Jackson on the floor for 20-plus minutes and him get five boards. And that's what he's done a lot of the time when he's on the floor because he just doesn't have – he doesn't have any of the fundamentals as far as rebounding. Nicola Melli is not a rebounder. So who else do you have in the bigs right now? And when you play Kenrich Williams at the four – you're still playing an undersized four against most of the lineups you're going to face. Against the Lakers, Kenrich at the four is not going to provide you a ton of help because he's just against Anthony Davis and, you know, uh, you're, you're talking about that for Dwight Howard and those kinds of guys. If you're playing those bigger teams, 
Kenrich is not as much of an advantage on the boards as he would be in other times. So they just don't have the bodies. And then when you talk about the rotations, I, I again, I think they're searching and reaching because you don't have the right kind of flexibility right now. Because the front court is so messed up, it has messed up the guard rotations. It is, it's, it's screwed all those things up. And I think that it, it, when Alvin reaches and he puts in some of these lines, and there were combos still last night that I just I, I didn't understand some of those groupings. But then he finds a group to start the fourth quarter that you wouldn't have thought would have worked. You know, he puts out Frank Jackson, Lonzo Ball. Um, uh, Nikhil. Nik- Nikhil Alexander-Walker, yeah. And uh, Hayes. Jackson Hayes. And they, they go on a, a, a 10, what, a, a, what was it, 13 to 6 run to right, off the, right off the bat, something like that. So it's like you, you wouldn't have expected that group to do anything considering Nikhil hadn't been on the floor in days, basically. So it's, it's a lot of searching. But this comes down to primarily this team is bad at the fundamental parts of the game. They mm-hmm. don't do well. Look, they are the, one of the worst pick-and-roll defending teams I've ever seen. There were so many opportunities last night because that's what the Suns wanted to run with Ricky Rubio. You know you have to go under on Ricky Rubio because he does. He wants to go to the basket first and create that way, and he gets 15 assists doing that because no one was there to stop him. There was no communication between Lonzo and Josh Hart or Lonzo and Brandon Ingram or whomever was on him at that particular moment. They just didn't talk to each other. And so those things, the basic fundamentals, boxing out is not a coaching thing. That's an effort thing. Not turning the ball over 20-plus times. You know, you can't turn the ball over 23 times, and that's the third time the Pelicans have had 20-plus turnovers in a game this season already. You can't do those things, and those aren't coaching things. And I had somebody on, on Twitter last night try to tell me that Alvin's technical foul was the reason that they lost the game. <laughs> like, it's dead serious. And, like, it's not the, the free throws that they missed. It's not going three for 12 from the three-point line in the third quarter. It wasn't giving up 19 offensive boards. It's Alvin's technical. Like, that's, that's where I think we've gone with this. You can absolutely say the results are the results, and I don't have a problem with that. If they said at the end of this year, whatever, Alvin's got to go. We have not won the way we wanted. Fine. I get it. That's the business. But I think people nitpick every failure of this team and they put it on him, and, and you hear Antonio Daniels say it. You've heard it last year with David Wesley. And every time players watch this team, they say, where's the effort? And that's on those guys. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to. I know we're jumping around right now, and that's partially uh, my fault. So apologies. The Lakers game, I remember specifically. The Pelicans actually out rebounded the Lakers, but they gave up something like forty more points in the paint, and like you said, twenty turnovers. They only shot something like forty percent from the field, and obviously the Lakers were above like fifty percent because they got so many easy looks in the paint with Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis. Let's let's transition over to Drew Holiday, Ollie. Um, we know he's been better. His turnovers are down. He's, uh, somewhere around like 22 points, seven assists and five rebounds, uh, in the last 10 games. I'm doing this from memory, uh, to go along with like two steals or whatever it is. I think I wrote that he has, that he's number one in deflections, number two in steals and like number three in blocks among guards, something like that. So, uh, quite frankly, he's been terrific. However, it hasn't mattered because he's been really bad in the final two minutes of games that the Pelicans have had opportunities to either steal or just outright win like last night. Talk about Drew Holiday's development as an all-star who just can't seemingly put it together when it matters most. 
Yeah, this this is going to be a sensitive topic. <laughs> and as we've already seen, as David, I know, got on a discussion last night with Shamet on Twitter. And look, this is just my opinion, but I feel like Drew Holiday suffers from the yips, something like that, because in crunch time, it repeatedly keeps happening to him. And this is not the first year. You know, he had that nice little stretch during the Pelicans playoff season. And of course, last year, playing without a lot of pressure, I think really did him well. But Overall, in the Pelicans uniform, he has struggled when, you know, the spotlight's been on him. And, of course, when the crunch time happens, that's when the light shines the brightest. And, you know, all I've got to point to, and I don't really have to say it, I can just use examples. Last night was the third time he has missed two free throws in uh, in clutch time minutes. Um, third time, two misses, so 0 for 6. He's shooting 40% from the free throw line during crunch time minutes. He's shooting under 30%, I believe, from the field. And... Look, you want some other examples? How about that missed dunk against the Lakers? That, you know, he's in an open court. He, he's got all the opportunity in the world to at least maybe pick up a foul, you know, slow it down, somehow get the basket, right? But he ended up really kind of just stuffing himself. So I feel like that's what I mean by the yips. Something inexplicable happens that just blows our mind because we know this guy's hand-eye coordination is among the best. We see what he can do defensively with those hands and those feet. There's no denying he is one of the best talents in the league. But like I said, there comes a time where something happens inside his head. He starts either overthinking a situation or like, I don't know. I remember being a kid and kind of having the same thing, honestly, when I was either playing tennis or golf. And sorry for jumping back into bringing this into my experience, but that's the best way I can explain it to you guys. But it's the same thing with shooting a free throw, right? When, when you're kind of inexperienced and you don't have that confidence, you really do have a million thoughts that go through your head. I've felt that in a lot of sports that I've played at one time or another. So I'm just imagining maybe it's something similar. I don't have concrete proof, but all I do have is, like I said, there's a lot of numbers and data, or excuse me, like video evidence that shows that he just has these farts that are inexplicable during, you know, a, a, an important stretch of the game. So love Drew Holiday. I am always going to root for him, but I, I think it's disingenuous just to write it off to him being uh, fatigued or something like that. Cause I hate to say it, but a lot of these players play those heavy minutes and they don't seem to have those issues, and they don't seem to have such, you know, incredibly crazy turnovers or these incredible misses or, like I said, going 0 for 2 from the free throw line a lot more than once. So, David, I don't know. I think you probably want to add something to this since, like I said, you were involved in a conversation about this last night. Yeah, uh, it's – you can't say it's fatigue when you're missing the rudimentary parts of the game. You know, it's it, the end of the fourth quarter, the final possession. He's supposed to know the clock, and he's looking right at it. It's not like Drew was in a, a difficult position. The, the Suns were not pressuring him uh, very hard with the ball. So he knew exactly how much time is on the clock. But he starts to make his move when there's five seconds, and Brandon Ingram is out at the circle. He throws a soft pass. Ingram has to get it, and you end up with a tough fadeaway shot you know, at the end of the game. And then you go into the overtime period and he goes over three from the field and over two at the line. And he's the only one who took more than one shot in the overtime period. Brandon Abram gets one bucket and on one attempt. And it just, it's those decisions. It's, he becomes slower. You can see the process. And that's what, two years ago, Ali and I started that. Maybe three, it goes back that far. We would, you, you could, we'd be looking at him and you say, it's, we called it two minute Drew. You say, there it goes. You can watch the his eyes. You, it just the body language changes on offense to where you can see him processing it. What should I be doing now? It, the 
the natural part of it, the muscle memory, the instinct that you live with as an elite athlete, it just seems that it gets suppressed in those moments. And I think that, you know, you see Brandon Ingram emerging and I think that's perfect for Drew to kind of defer to him because you saw the fire out of Ingram last night, um, especially in his post-game comments where uh, about how much he wanted that, how much he wanted to fight for that win. And I think that that's just not Drew's nature. He's a competitor, but he's not that guy. He's not the guy who's going to just say, give me the damn ball. And Ingram was in that position last night. He had that feeling. And if he was going to lose, I think Brandon Ingram would have been, would have been content knowing that he would have lost being aggressive. I think Drew feels it when he tries and he fails. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's, it's, it's a little bit of a different type of mindset. And it just, it's, it's hurt the team in those crucial situations. And I, I just, I, it goes back to, are you asking of people something they can do um, and, and asking him to be an MVP type candidate? I think it's just in retrospect. As much as we wanted him to get the shine, uh, I think in retrospect, it was just a, something that may have just been a weight that he wasn't prepared to carry emotionally and psychologically. Uh, and, and I think it's, it, it has put additional pressure on him. Gambling. It's not the most prevalent of topics at the family barbecue, but the truth is it can be quite fun. Picking a couple of friends to play some friendly wagers before a game can immediately raise the stakes and make your Sundays even more exhilarating. And that's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Football fans, you can even bet after kickoff. So if it looks like your bet is fading, just take the other side. If you like to bet a lot, try a parlay. You can multiply your winnings and brag to your friends as the money rolls in. But now is the best time to join because my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Yeah, Preston, I want you to add to this because I think you've even talked or written about this, right? Where David Griffin made a mistake in putting that on Drew Holiday, on being that MVP type of caliber player, right? Yeah, sorry, I, I didn't know where we were going with that. Yeah, uh, we, we've <laughs> talked ad nauseum in some of our uh, direct message groups um, and that fans' expectations were not set by themselves. Fans' expectations were set by the organization and that did help sell a lot of tickets. It did help create a lot of excitement with the franchise. You've got a lot of great additional hires that came with that from Aaron Nelson to Swin Cash to Teresa Witherspoon, Gravis Vasquez. We hope that he heals up and comes back. But when you come out and you, you talk about unlimited off Offensive potential to Derek Favors, an MVP type season from Drew Holiday. You just need to be given permission to dominate those sorts of things that that creates uh, additional expectations from a fan base. When you say that you want to beat teams asses, and this is something that Kevin talked about on the podcast last week, then that becomes a fan's expectation. A fan now has changed their expectation. And we've got guys in the group like David Fisher who says, you know, if that's what you were expecting, you're a fool because it's going to take people time to mesh. You know, these are these are professionals, but with that being said, uh, continuity, continuity comes in time. Chemistry comes in time. You can't expect to, you know, go 12 and six against the league's strongest strength of schedule uh, thus far through 19 or 22 games. The Pelicans have quite simply played a very difficult onslaught of opponents. So coming in with that expectation always set us up for failure. With that being said, uh, I can't really give into the fatigue argument because just last night I was uh, operating the main handle 
and I posted a video of Drew Holiday doing a superb job defensively on Devin Booker, chasing him all around the court, uh, inevitably forcing the turnover, getting the Pelicans back the ball. And then on the ensuing possession, you know, whatever it was, uh, dribbling the ball off his foot or tossing it up for for an ill-timed turnover. So these things are happening in symmetry with each other. These these lapses in mental judgment on the offensive end that are not taking place on the defensive end. And that's where my argument goes to Ali's uh, point of view is we see that he has the energy. This guy is in better shape than anybody else in the NBA. He runs faster than anybody else in the NBA. He's played more minutes than anybody else in the NBA over the past three to four seasons. But here are his clutch numbers and they all come down offensively. Brandon Ingram is worst in the NBA right now in clutch with negative 5.4 plus minus. True Holiday is number two at 3.8. These are your leaders. These are your offensive stalwarts. These are the guys who are supposed to put these games away for you. And yes, it could be a matter of fatigue. Alvin Gentry says that they're not pushing the pace enough. And that's that's where you find a bit of confusion in this rhetoric that it's all based around fatigue is you've got Alvin Gentry out there saying that these guys are playing isolation basketball, but he wants them running faster. He wants them running farther. And if he's not recognizing that these guys are just too tired to run his offensive sets, then then at some point there's, there's just a middle ground that's not being understood by both of these parties right now. If Drew Holiday is tired, somebody on that coaching staff has to recognize that and lower his minutes. Uh, that's that's my argument right now. So if you think that it is fatigue, then that's on the coaching staff to recognize that and to assess that. But back to your argument about David Griffin is – these expectations uh, were very exciting. They got the fan base rallied up and and now they've changed. And now as a fan base, we have to put into perspective what we want from the remainder of this season. And with that being said, Grub, I'm going to transition over to December 15th. The Pelicans have a lot of veterans that could make a lot of teams happy right now. In addition to Drew Holiday, if, if some of you out there are crazy enough that you want to reset the franchise, you've got Etwan Moran expiring. He's still a top 10 three-point shooter. You've got J.J. Redick, who's on pace to break his record for three-pointers in a year. I think he's on pace for like 270 or 280 I tweeted it out the other day um, you've got Derek Favors who went healthy is one of the best rim protectors in the in the NBA at least according to Draymond when do you start to decide uh, Grub what to do with these veterans well I think you have to make the decision by no later than the second week of January you really have to know what you're going to do by then because again the trade deadline has it keeps moving up so you, you have to decide by February 7th what you're going to do with a lot of these guys. And I think, you know, you're, you're most likely to see Etwan moved uh, and possibly even Derek Favors. I could see that happening, or I could see Derek getting actually bought out if them doing him a favor, um, if it just doesn't work. Um, I could see that as a, as a reasonable outcome. Um, but I think for Drew and for J.J., I think they're in it for this year, most likely, unless something, unless they asked, unless they said, I want to go. I think they're in it for the year because I don't think David Griffin would want to submarine his position with, for those guys. Drew is going to be more valuable to him in the off season when he can figure out what veteran player he does want on this roster. Are you going to bring in a big for Drew? Are you trying to get who's got what draft picks? Again, it, it becomes that kind of game. And, and then the same with Redick, uh, because his value, his contract is so affordable next season. A team that's looking to make a run, he's a very affordable option, and you've got a guy who can knock down 45% plus on, from the three-point line. So I think those guys will be held on to. But, yeah, Etwan and even Derek Favors right now could be guys who get moved um, 
if, if the team is just falling out of it uh, by by early January. Because I, I think that they could finish this month and, and be at eight or nine wins total, which means they go into January. And even if they had a 500 month, you're talking about a team with 15 wins going into the all-star break. All right. So, I'll have, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. So I said, so, you know, I think that's, that's really the choice that you, you have to start looking at is if you're out of it in early January, then it's time to move those guys and start planning for next year. It's, it's fair to them and it's fair to the team. I've got the clip in front of me, Ali, from last night posted from the main account. Uh, it was at the 144 mark that Drew Holiday uh, bodied, him up, bodied uh, up Devin Booker all across the court. It was full court defense. He ended up triggering the offensive foul uh, with the forearm shiver from Devin Booker and getting the ball back for the Pelicans. Turned it over on the very next possession. So I, I don't know. Take it for what you will. Maybe uh, he fatigued himself on that direct possession. I guess you can certainly make an argument for that. But with that being said, let's go ahead and transition over, Ali. You mentioned Lonzo Ball, so we're going to go ahead and come back to that because we've got some great questions. Let's start with some positivity. Uh, you, yes. you know, Frank Jackson, Nikhil Alexander-Walker had been struggling mightily lately, but you do have Jackson Hayes. Just about a month ago, you had Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Frank Jackson playing very, very well, and Jackson Hayes couldn't couldn't get onto the floor. I think he got three fouls against Nikola Jokic in his first minute against him. Um, but, but now you've got him playing very well. He's one of the league leaders in plus minus and, uh, net rating. And he's, he's struggling to rebound because due to his size, you could argue, uh, as Grubb said earlier, but just offensively it's, it's translating and it's translating against some of the league's best. You can still see that he's got the, uh, the tools to be a facilitator. He's got such great hands. What do you see as Jackson Hayes ceiling after watching him play major minutes for the past two weeks? That's all going to come down to how he builds his body, how much weight he can put on. And obviously you want most of that to be strength, of course. Um, and then we're going to have to figure out, is it going to be, you know, then it's going to be kind of managing his minutes versus injury, right? Because, you know, the big guys, once they start getting a little bit thicker and bigger, sometimes they're very susceptible to injury. So honestly, who knows? And I hate these type of questions because, you know, you can see anything from anywhere as, you know, as big as a prevalent of a, you know, rim rattler like say a Sean Kemp but I think that he's got a lot more touch to his game and we're already seeing it with his uh, finesse on both finishing around bigger guys they can't get around the dunk over so he's going around them right and we saw that you know a couple times at least last night and of course his free throw touch so I don't I don't want to put any kind of limit on but I think his ceiling is really really sky high let's leave it at that where I think he'll be able to stretch the floor as well as finish as well as handle the ball and make passes you know, I think the first basket the Pelicans scored yesterday, um, I forget who had the ball, but they flipped it to Hayes in the middle, and he looked the opposite corner and nailed Brandon Ingram for the game's first three points. Beautiful play. So if he can add all that type of stuff to his game, boy, he's going to be unstoppable offensively. Defensively, yeah, it all does come down to how much weight he's going to put on. So we saw what he can do, obviously, with the blocks. And I thought what was interesting to me was he actually got stronger as the game progressed. I know there was a time where he was looked really winded. But, you know, in that fourth quarter in overtime, I think he got like three or four of his five blocks during that period. And he really, you know, made a difference on a lot of shots by the Suns around the rim. Now, the drawback, of course, is nobody was getting those rebounds. So they kept on getting those second chances. And Hayes' only defensive rebound of the game came on the Suns' first possession of the game. So he went... What is it? 47 and a half minutes without a defensive rebound plus overtime. So that's kind of bad too. So he's still got a lot of growth to do though. He's 19. You don't want to limit him, but 
the most interesting thing I saw last night was the connection that both Lonzo and Hayes established. Where I think Zoe looked for him on, I want to say, three straight possessions, ending the third quarter, which had that beautiful dunk, to the start of the fourth, where he hit him, I know, at least on one bounce pass, to where Hayes was coming from the other side along mm-hmm. the baseline. They ended up an easy two. Lonzo and Hayes just impressed the heck out of me, and I hope they impressed the heck out of everybody else. Because you saw what both of those can do and why it's so important for Lonzo to have those type of guys around him. David's always been talking about all year how important it is to have Zion around um, Zoe to unlock his game, to give him that confidence, to give him an outlet. Hayes can do that too. After watching last night's game, I think he can fill that role similarly. So suddenly maybe Lonzo's going to have two guys to uh, serve as outlets whenever he gets himself into trouble off the dribble or he just needs any kind of outlet. And now he's also got that three-point shot. Um, and and say it's a little bit more confidence it does take it to the basket. Boy, I think it really just opens up the kind of world that we can envision. And that's what Griffin talked about. He said, look, we can have Brandon Ingram at the threes, Lonzo, or excuse me, Zion at the four and Hayes at the five. And that's a hell of a, hell of a backcourt. You know, it's going to be the fastest, um, quickest, and probably the best leaping of the bunch. And then if you can get a facilitator to unlock all those guys, to make sure they keep getting theirs at uh, whenever the opportunity is right, that's going to be the biggest key. And Lonzo showed last night that it might be him. And that's great because previously, I want to say, like I said, all year, he has really struggled. And it's all revolved around confidence, not a skill set issue. So I don't know. That, that to me, like I said, I think I tweeted it out last night. I will take a loss if I can see Lonzo keep playing like this and all the other young guys, and then they can carry over that confidence for the rest of the season. Yeah, before we get over to Grub, I, I do just want to add on to Ali's. I would love to see Jackson Hayes manage the ball in the high post, uh, a la that Andrew Bogut role, where you've got your two perimeter players setting off-ball screens to create an open look for like a Steph Curry, a Clay Thompson, in this uh, instance of J.J. Redick. But basically, you've just got a big player up there who can see the entire floor, who can also move with the ball. But better than that, we have seen glimpses of him being a pretty good passer. So I, I would like to see his role evolve beyond that of just a finisher right now, a role man right now I think he can do so much more than just set a corner pin down screen but obviously that's going to take time let's go over to Grub let's talk about some of the youth uh, obviously Ali went over to Lonzo Ball and that's going to be a critical part of the Pelicans future going forward is finding that facilitator like Ali said and last night we finally got a glimpse of that player Grub they were playing against the Phoenix Suns who have not been very good offensively without Aaron Baines but did you see enough from Lonzo Ball to, to really be excited about a future with him as the team's primary point guard yeah, I, I think, and Ali alluded to some of it is just, I, I think he already has natural connections with that front court, with those guys. We saw it in the preseason with him and Zion. Um, we know you, if you watch at times, he and Brandon Ingram still have this very um, unspoken chemistry. They know where each other like the ball, um, and, and they will pass to each other and anticipate the other's moves. And then He's getting that with Jackson Hayes. And I think the thing that helps Lonzo so much is when he gets to the lane, the first thing he's looking for is somebody coming towards the basket. Because that's why you see so many of those drop-off bounce passes is because he's expecting somebody to step into that spot and get a layup because he sees the crease. Well, Jackson Hayes saw those creases last night. And Zion Williamson looks for those creases. And and Brandon Ingram is a guy who also is very good on the move and going towards the rim. A lot of the other guys are not that. So I think that's an adjustment that you'd like to see. 
Lonzo made, and again, him getting to the four free throws, and people th- will look at that and say four. He doubled his season high in attempts and makes. You know, I mean, like that that shows just how much of a leap it is to get four free throws out of him. Um, was it was just an impressive thing and a step. And that's what I'll put it at right now. It was a step. And and he's going to have to be consistent and do this for multiple games. And there will be setbacks along the way, too. Because, again, he still has not reached. I think he, he may be just about to hit 100 games in the league. So if when you're sitting in, in that position, I think, again, it's about patience. But do, is he making steps forward? Last night seems like a step forward. He was in control. Too many turnovers. But again, everybody was turning it over last night. He, they've got that's usually not where Lonzo makes his mistakes is in turnovers. It's usually in his decision making as far as shooting and when not to shoot. But he made good decisions shooting. Even the one three that he missed was a wide open shot from the corner. So I thought his decision making on his, his shooting was very good. And um, and now it's it's improved that and get back to the level of competency that he had on defense because that's been the biggest fall off for me. Is just defensively he's not been as good. Um, as he, he was his first two seasons. Maybe that's part of that was the injury um, and, and getting used to this. But once he gets that confidence back too, I think you know that, that whole piece, um, the whole full spectrum of his skills start to come back together. And um, he's going to, I think he's going to be okay. I think he's going to be fine. It's just as those other guys come back, they are so important to him. All right, Ali, we're going to get into some questions now. Uh, we're right at about the 45-minute mm-hmm. mark. Uh, we've got Alvin Jen at Lady Luisi saying, Fizz just got fired. Is this God trying to help us? And I know that a lot <laughs> of us are high on David Fizzdale. Not calling him a top five coach, uh, but certainly somebody that a lot of us have a great deal of respect for. Uh, this one is from Telus of Athens, friend of the program. He's written us a lot, uh, Ali. He says, why don't the Pelicans sign a 10-day uh, G League guy who can rebound and defend? It's a glaring need, even with Hayes' surprise results when favors and zion come back that's only three solid front court players for 96 minutes why all the small ball that's so last decade ali briefly touch upon why the pelicans cannot sign a uh, 10-day contract at this point in the season okay well <coughs> first of all i just want to mention that david and i were actually talking about this the other day uh to where you know they've got cavell bigby williams down there in uh with the erie bayhawks who's actually putting up really good numbers uh, down in the post, grabbing those rebounds that we all wanted to see. Well, the problem is the Pelicans have a full roster, 15 uh, contracts plus their two-way spots are taken up. So they're gonna, they would need to create some kind of space there. Um, now, there is one avenue that can be done without, say, um, making a trade, and that is Jaleel Okafor. His contract doesn't uh, fully guarantee, I, th- I believe, until the 7th of uh January. So there's still some time if they want, if they're not liking what they're seeing in order to create that roster spot, that's an avenue. Now I don't advocate for it uh, simply because I think Julio Okafor has really worked his tail off. And I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference to just bring in, you know, somebody that's not even used to running with our guys. Right. So there would be an acclimation period. Plus there's a reason why that person's in the G league or unsigned. If you want to chase some kind of free agent. So what are the odds that that person will suddenly make some kind of incredible um, turnaround for the Pelicans to where it would reflect in the win-loss record. Don't see it happening. Further, Zion really truly, I think, is going to be back in, say, about two to three, maybe four weeks' time. And Derek Favors, you've got to expect back, like, in the next game or two. So suddenly that need isn't there anymore. 
Yeah, we we all could get into Christian Wood and how much the Pelicans could use him right now and in place of a Jaleel Okafor or a, a Darius Miller or Fish would say Frank Jackson. Uh, but but we, we've done that to death at this point. We've got a question grew up from Double Bro 7. I think we've already answered this. He says, is it really all Alvin? They played in the fourth and some overtime well enough to win if they played that well all game. So I think we did that one. Thank yeah. you for your question. Uh, this one is from, let's see... Uh, Okay, Tony Ramos. Uh, Tony Ramos, thank you so much. We had uh, his question on one of my previous podcasts. Grub, it says, with the playoffs seeming like a long shot, what do you think of redshirting Zion? Also, do we look to move a guy like Favors at the deadline? We already touched upon that one. Let's talk mm-hmm. about redshirting Zion. How long should the Pelicans hold on to him until they play him? So you have no doubt in your mind, other than the reasonable, anybody can get hurt playing sports uh, concern in your head. If there's anything more than that, if there's a, the slightest hint of something may be a setback for him physically, then you wait another day until you don't have that thought. So everybody in the building is on the same page and says he's good. Because, again, it's not about this year. You're not making the playoffs. You're not winning a division. You're not doing anything. The most important thing is to get through this and be set up for next season. No matter how it happened, that was the goal of this season. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if you, you do sit him out the entire season, but I'm not putting out there a moment earlier than I have to. All right, we've got a question from Finn the Human. Uh, I'm not looking at it directly because I'm trying to pull up some statistics as I address it, but it's just saying what, what are some easy fixes to make things work for the Pelicans, or are they too far away from easy fixes at this point? And I think we can all just go back to clutch. Obviously, defense uh, ha- has been a, a shortcome uh, for the Pelicans this year, as well as rotations, injuries. But when you take into consideration these clutch minutes, there have been several instances like the Lakers, like the Suns. I'm drawing those from memory. Uh, uh, you you could say possibly the Thunder. Um, but if they just win three more of these games, you're at nine and thirteen. And based on the the track record of opponents they face this year, I think if you're nine and thirteen, you're probably feeling pretty good, especially when considering that the Pelicans' remaining strength of schedule, I think, is the twenty-third weakest in the NBA. So then you set yourself up to go on a run in February once everybody's back and healthy, which uh when is that ever gonna happen to the New Orleans Pelicans? Uh but with that being said, I, I think if you just if Drew Holiday and Brandon Ingram just close these games a little bit better, I think that's all the Pelicans need. But with that being said, having the 27th ranked defense in the NBA with Jeff Bazelik as your primary play caller, uh, you'd want that to be a little bit better. Uh, So that's from Finn the Human. Thank you for those two questions. Ali, this one is also from Finn the Human. Does Drew Holiday match this current core? Uh, Based on everything that you've seen so far, Ali, the Pelicans are going to have to practice patience a little bit more. Uh, I think we've already answered this a little bit, but based on what you've seen so far, do you envision Drew Holiday being a member of the Pelicans, uh, let's say midway through next season? It really does come down to as easy of a question as does he want to be here? Um, if he does, I think that everybody would happily keep him on that coaching staff and the front office. They love him and what he brings. He's such a stabilizing um, guy in the locker room because he doesn't you know, cause any kind of friction because he does lead by example. And everybody hates that terminology, but you know what that means? That means he's the guy that's always taking the toughest defensive assignment. He's the guy that's playing 40-some minutes and doing everything that's required even though, as we do know, some of it does wear on him. He is better suited when he's off the ball. There, there's no doubt that you put a too big of a task um, or whatever schedule for him that it, it kind of does make him crumble. So, But he's always been willing. So 
you need certain veterans, I feel like, when you're growing a young core. Otherwise, they can go awry. We've seen it in history. Alvin's seen it in history when he became the coach of the uh, Clippers back, back when they had Darius Miles and a lot of young talent. And, boy, most of those careers never panned out because, you know, they, they didn't have that type of leadership in the locker room. So you need some guys to keep around. Drew's one of the best. Let's face it, our, our guards, they still need a lot of help. They still need to do a lot of growing. So I don't think there's anybody better to learn from for Lonzo, for B.I., for Nikhil Alexander-Walker than from Drew. All right, I'm just writing up the title right now. Let's go over to Grub, and I, I'm just going to finish with this, and then we'll mm-hmm. just kind of freestyle on our way up. Grub, I mentioned that there's just a couple of these close, close, heartbreaking losses that could keep the Pelicans from 6 and 16 to, let's say, 9 and 13. Uh, and Drew Holiday, in his interview in the locker room last night, he, he didn't sound all that disappointed. He said there have been games this season where the locker room's kind of been in dismay, but he, was, but he said something along the lines of they didn't feel that way last night because they all fought hard. And at the end of the day, that's all they're looking to do at this point in the season. Do you think there's an argument to be made that the Pelicans are still closer than we're giving them credit for? I mean, I, I didn't think they'd have more than nine or ten wins at the most at this stage of the season. You know, before the season. Like, when did we ever say that they would be 500? So, yeah, in that regard, I think the more frustrating part of this is not the 6-16 six and 16 for me. And I think you guys would probably agree with what I'm about to say. It's not the outcome. It's how they get there. That's the much more frustrating part. It feels like there are more than 16 losses because the way, the manner in which they lose is so frustrating because it's so much about mental mistakes because they've been in position to win those games. And that colors our view of what is happening. Even with a healthy Zion, I don't think that they'd be much better than this. Maybe like two, three, four wins at the most. And that's, I mean, you know, so yeah, I think we are, but that's the nature of it. I think it's that that strange gumbo that's been mixed of the expectations of the front office, the expectations of the fan base, and then the way in which these games are playing out. And you put all three of those things together and it creates much more frustration. It creates that sense of we've been there through this before and it's going to end the exact same way. And so I get that. But yeah, there is a little bit of an overreaction here as well. All right, Ollie. I think we got all of our questions. I think I'm going to go ahead and punt. Thank you so much for um, Carlos Otega. I'll, I'll go over and ask this one, Ollie. This one's a fun one, and, and he deserves uh, his question to be read. Are the red uniforms a little played out this season, Ollie? And what are your favorite New Orleans Pelicans uniforms? I want to see the city edition ones. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't hate the New Orleans Pelicans uniforms at all. I mean, we, we saw the bad, the, one of the worst ones I've seen all season, and Dave and I were joking about it. And I think the rest of you guys in the group chat, too, it was the Dallas Mavericks away uh, jersey that obviously we just saw inside the Smoothie King Center. Boy, that one was just atrocious. So I think the Pelicans ones, they could just use like a nice facelift overall, change a little bit of the schemes, not necessarily maybe have to do the colors, but just, you know, the font sizes, stuff like that. Make it new, more New Orleans. That's something Kevin and this is a great question to ask him when he comes on. Uh, but just to make it more New Orleans, just like everybody wants the arena to feel more like New Orleans. At least they're getting the music there, right? But you still need to make the uh, imagery fit the eye, right? The seats and all that. But same thing with the uniforms. They could approve it there. 
And I, I, I would, that's why I'd rather see the city uniform sooner rather than later. All right. We're going to go ahead and close up there. Thank you guys so much for all of your questions. Uh, Remember, if you like what you're hearing, just retweet us, share us, rate us on iTunes if you have a chance. Uh, If you already have, just grab somebody else's phone around you and just use that one on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate all you guys' help and all the support that you've given. Even though it's it's been a hard season, we appreciate you guys sticking with us and you stick with us because we we all love this team. And more importantly, we all love basketball. And I think it should all come back to that. The reason that we feel so much passion, it it doesn't come from a place of of hatred. It comes from a a place of love, a, a place of passion. And I think it's important that we all remember that. And uh, most importantly, that we all stay uh, civil on the Twitters. Uh, you guys can follow Ali at Ali Cosell, Grub at DM Grub. Oh, my gosh, I almost forgot that. It's been so long. Ali, go ahead and, and take us out. Talk a bit about what you've been working on and what our listeners can see of your work. Yeah, so I still want to probably focus on this development with the young guys. So I'm looking at doing something on Hayes and Lonzo's last or last night's game in particular where there was a stretch near the third through about midway of the fourth where seemingly everything he did when he had the ball was a positive. So I want to focus on that because everybody's been focusing all the negatives. And like you said earlier, let's focus on some more positives because it was never about this year. So screw the record, right? There's a future still to be had. I love it. Let's go over to David Grubb. Uh, obviously, you've got your show every morning, 8 to 10 a.m. Central Time on 1280 a.m. And also, you drop a link on Twitter every uh, every day where folks can, can uh, sorry, listen to it. Grubb, talk a bit about what else you're working on for the Bird Rice and Crescent City Sports. Yeah, so um, I have two are, uh, well, I have the, the wrap-up of last, of last night's game that's up right now on the Bird Rice. And it's more than just a wrap-up because there's some positive information, like Ali talked about, some historic um, level performances that came out of last night's game that are encouraging. So um, I uh, ask folks to go check that out. And on Crescent City Sports right now, there's um, I have a piece up about just discussing some of those things, some of the the, the misfires uh, that have, have slowed the progress outside of the gate. And again, reshifting that focus from wins to development and making sure that fans really, you know, just don't set themselves up for disappointment by thinking – one thing when they're, when they're being when they're actually going to get something else, um, but there are encouraging things uh, signs. And then, of course, I don't want to forget to remind people because now we're literally about a week out from the live show. So um, the details for the the record the live recording of the the uh, the bird calls uh, next Saturday, the fourteenth. Yeah, yeah. David yeah, Grubb so going to be hosting it. Kevin will be there. It's going to be. It's going to start at seven p.m. with uh, the boys from Saints Happy Hour, uh, and then at eight p.m. the bird calls will start. They'll be taking questions. There'll be plenty of drinks. There'll be trivia, prizes, T-shirts, all that sort of stuff. Sorry, go ahead and wrap up, Grub. No, so you know, just I just want to accentuate that, and then of course, I'm also just doing a ton of football. You know, state championships next weekend, uh, and LSU playing possibly for a national championship in a couple of weeks. So uh, it's always a busy time for me. I want to go ahead and step up on a soapbox. Uh, I, I haven't talked to you guys in a while. I've been working really long days. But um, just to our listeners, Ali Cosell and David Grubb, in my opinion, give you guys some of the greatest coverage on the Pelicans uh, you could possibly ask for. These guys are, are are working themselves to the bone every single day, giving you new and original thought and analysis on this team, asking the hard questions. Uh, so just make sure that you guys give these guys some love, shout them out, support their material. They'll never ask for it in their own regard. So I'm going to go ahead and do it for 
for them. And also, if there's any way we're not covering the Pelicans that you guys would like us to, uh, I've been breaking down film on the main handle. Uh, ben Pfeiffer has been doing it as well. And of course, we've got our whole team. If there's something specifically you're looking for, something that you really like that we're doing that you want more of, please just let us know. Just hit us at the handle at Bird Rights, and we'll do our best to, to catch up with it. For now, I'm going to go ahead and take us out. Ali, what's that catchphrase I love? Wait, wait, we never did our Manscaped commercial. You just reminded me. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and do it off the air because uh, I'm running okay. out of time here. But, Ali, since you volunteered yourself, why nope, don't you nope, tell nope, nope. you? <laughs> catchphrase. I'm thinking, what's a catchphrase? Let's go, Pels. Let's dance, right? <laughs> Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented... They'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.